Hi there, and welcome into episode number five of the show. Usually this is the point in the show in this podcast short history where I introduce it as the BTN podcast, but as of this episode, the podcast will be going through a bit of a mini rebrand. Uh, from this point forward, the show will be called the BTN Take 10 Podcast with Alex Rue. I know it's a bit of a mouthful, so I'm just going to call it Take 10 or Take 10 Podcast for short. Uh, basically, we originally planned for it to go by the name Take 10, but our legal department here at BTN, which is owned by Fox, had to make sure that we weren't infringing on anyone's name. So instead of waiting for the powers to be to clear the Take 10 name, and that was kind of an unknown amount of time, we decided to launch the show with just kind of a generic BTN podcast name and wait for the lawyers to do what they do. So the lawyers did their lawyer talk, and five episodes in, we have a name with a bit more imagination than BTN Podcast, and it's Take 10. And some people have asked me, what does Take 10 mean? Don't really have a good answer for that, honestly. Uh, there are a few prominent sports shows out there that feature the word take, and that's for good reason. That's by design. Uh, hot takes and cold takes and all kinds of takes are the fabric of sports talk these days. So that's the first part. And the 10, obviously is for the 14 schools in the Big Ten, of course. Makes all the sense in the world. But really, I just thought the name was kind of catchy. It's short, it's to the point, and I'm not going to overthink it. So I suggest anyone out there doesn't overthink it either. And there you have it. Uh, take 10 it is from here on out. And so what is on officially the fifth episode of Take 10, I had a very enjoyable discussion with a very special guest, Robbie Hummel. Hummel was a fantastic basketball player for Purdue from 2007 to 2012. He played a couple seasons in the NBA and was wrapping up his latest season in a Moscow suburb overseas in Russia when we spoke last week. He had some really fantastic stories throughout the hour or so that we spoke, including one about former Wisconsin head coach Bo Ryan involved with former Ohio State National Player of the Year Evan Turner. It's a story that's impossible not to love, and I guarantee you'll get a kick out of it. So let's get into it. The BTN Take 10 podcast discussion with Robbie Hummel. I'm very excited to welcome Robbie Hummel to the show. Robbie is one of the best basketball players to play in the Big Ten Network era and is an all-time Purdue Hoops great. You can follow him on Twitter at Robbie Hummel, and he's currently playing professionally in the Moscow area in a top league in Russia. How's it going over there, Robbie? It's going good. I cannot complain. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do so. Yeah, so you are playing in Russia right now, and the season over there must be almost over, correct? Because you told me that if you had lost this past Sunday, you'd be coming back to the States soon. Uh, is, it the playoff, is it the playoffs going on right now over there? So it is the playoffs. Um, this league is, is very unique. It's actually not just teams in Russia, but there's teams in uh, Latvia, Kazakhstan, um, Estonia, and, and then also there's a team. Most of the teams are in Western Europe. There's one team that's actually in Siberia. So that's a oh, six-hour wow. flight from Moscow, um, and it's five time, time zones ahead. <laughs> so it's uh, – it's interesting in that regard, um, but the the competition is good. Um, you know, it's good because my team has paid on time, and over here that can certainly be something that you worry about. Sure. Um, but I've been lucky in that regard uh, this year, so that's been good. Um, and yeah, we're we're headed to the finals, so that's a that's a positive thing. Yeah. Good luck to you guys the rest of the way. Um, you're quite a long way from home over there, obviously. 
How did you end up in Russia with that particular team? Yeah, no, it, it kind of happened. So I went to training camp with the Denver Nuggets this year. Thought I had a pretty good chance to make the team, but just um, you know, I, I played really well in, in the practices, but unfortunately in the game they just didn't shoot the ball very well. Um, and I think their roster kind of broke down to where they they saw they they needed a another another big. So Jarnell Stokes made the team. I think he got hurt actually pretty quickly, but once I got released. Um, I I went home, came back to Chicago, was home for probably two or three days, and my agent, who's uh, based out of Chicago, Mark Bartlestein, called me, um, said this team in Moscow, which I, it's called Kimki, um, it's like a suburb of Moscow, but I, it's it's a big team over here in Europe. Uh, they were Euroleague last year, but Euro Cup this year, which is Euro is like the biggest uh, league in Europe that you can play in. Euro Cup's kind of the second biggest. Um, but I knew the team. I knew they had a very good reputation, um, especially in terms of, of paying, which is, like I said, a big thing over here. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of fell in my lap. So myself and uh, Jeremy Evans, we were both released, um, and Markel Brown. All three of us were released from NBA teams, and we all three signed over here. Yeah, Jeremy Evans and Markel Brown, those are a couple of big-time high flyers over here in, in college days, and uh, Jeremy Evans in the NBA, too. Yeah, unfortunately, Jeremy got hurt, like, a month into the season, so he went home in December. Um, he hurt his hip. I think I saw he's playing in the TBT, <laughs> so I'm glad oh, really? he's being healthy. Um, but yeah, Markel, he's a really, really good athlete, um, really good player, was really good at Oklahoma State. Um, then I just went to Brooklyn, played for the Nets for a year or two, and um, this is his first year overseas. So he's he's been a good teammate and a really, like you said, explosive athlete. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, Moscow time is – Eight hours ahead of Chicago, so it's about 11 p.m. over there right now for you. What's a uh, what's a typical day like over there for you in Russia? Um, well, you know, it depends on how many practices we have. Uh, the weather is finally getting warm. I was told actually this is the the coldest spring, um, yeah, spring in, ju- in June, <laughs> spring um, in 100 years in the city. So it's oh, wow. it's been a little frustrating in that in that regard. Um, but you know what, like, you know, if we have two practices, I wake up about 9, uh, we practice at 10.30, we usually lift weights in the morning, um, after weights we'd shoot, um, so that usually takes about, it's like an hour and a half, hour 45, um, go to lunch, um, head back to my apartment, take a nap usually, depending on, on if I feel like it or not, um, if I'm not tired I'd catch up on TV shows or I have a sling box so I can watch American TV. Um, but yeah, the, the European basketball player, I think most of the Americans definitely, uh, definitely catch up on, on American television shows and, and movies as well. So, um, do that. Second practice is usually at, um, six. So, um, head back to practice about five, get there in, you know, about 20 minutes, um, get taped, get stretched, practice, um, eat dinner. And then, uh, you have the rest of your night to kind of, um, get yourself ready to do it again the next day. So it's a, it's it's certainly um, a very regimented schedule over here. You practice twice twice a day a lot of the time, so that kind of makes it hard to go out and do things. But in this league, we it's been crazy. We've had three breaks since like uh, I want to say March first of ten days or more where we didn't play, and one of them was seventeen days. We we had some days off where I was kind of able to do some traveling. Um, I went to uh, went to uh, Rome for three days or two days and got to kind of check Rome out. And then actually this last break, uh, we were waiting. We had 17 days between the quarterfinals and the semifinals of the playoffs. So I had three days in Barcelona where I just kind of hung out at the beach and was able to kind of hang out in Spain. So 
it's been kind of a weird year in that regard, schedule-wise, but um, you know, it's been a positive experience. That's pretty cool. Cool that you got time to, to kind of explore the uh, Europe a little bit. And I know you mentioned us before, and you mentioned just now that you're a big TV shows guy. What are some good ones you're watching right now? Um, actually, funny enough, The Americans, which is <laughs> about uh, about the KGB and about um, the Cold War. So I've been I watched that. Um, I I really like. Uh, I'm a big Empire fan. I know I think that's filmed in Chicago. Um, I like that. I like uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is old, but I still like to rewatch them. I like Veep. Um, uh, Designated Survivor when that was on. So at one time I could have like you know ten shows going on at once. It's it's right. honestly depressing. <laughs> you you excited for uh, Curb to come back? And I think they pushed it back to the fall, but I was really excited for it to potentially come back this summer. I know uh, my my neighbor um, in Chicago was Luke Herringote, and we always joke about Curb, and we're, we were both talking about how we're really excited um, for that to come back. That's a that's a hilarious show. You mentioned uh, to my colleague here, actually Brent Arena, at one point that you are a Dave Chappelle fan. You like to have dinner with Dave Chappelle at some point. Have you seen his new specials on Netflix yet? Yeah, I watched them. And uh, funny you say that. Actually, when I was in Minnesota, uh, we after a game our team promotion person kind of came to us and asked if anybody would be interested in doing this fundraiser with Dave Chappelle. And I, I was like, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so I, I had volunteered me and Ronnie Turioff both did. And it ended up being, it was this Dave Chappelle, like night in the target center and Prince was sponsoring it. And he, he came into the target center and he played horse with all these fans. There was like the lower bowl of the target center on one side was filled. So there's probably a couple thousand people there. And he was picking people out of the audience to play horse with. So I, me and Dave Chappelle, who like when he was on the show was super skinny, but you know, disappeared for a while and came back and he's like, Jack, me, me and Jack, Dave Chappelle are playing horse against just random people in the crowd. And it's funny because the voices he's making were kind of like, the same as some of his characters on on the skit. So he picks this he picks this guy out of the stands to play horse against us. And this dude played professionally, I guess, overseas, but Dave had no idea. And the first first shot this guy takes, he just dribbles up to the basket and and cracks one. He dunks it. And Dave, Dave looked at me and was like, "How the hell did you pick this guy?" And I was like, uh, "You you picked him." But it, it was. It was a good time. He he was really cool. He actually ended up serving the crowd pancakes, which was like um, obviously from his Prince skit um, where Charlie Murphy uh, played Prince and they served him pancakes at the end. But it was it was kind of a surreal experience for sure. That's pretty amazing. Could uh, could Dave hoop a little bit? Yeah, he wasn't bad. He uh, you know his his jump shot looked it didn't look bad. Um, he he made some shots. He was uh he was definitely not a not a bad player. Yeah, it's pretty funny. That's that's a uh, awesome experience, especially just kind of pops out of nowhere. Comes in Minnesota like that. That's cool. So uh, a little bit more on Russia. What's the area like where you live? Do you do you stick out a little bit even more than you might over here in the states? Just being a pro basketball in this suburb of of Moscow. You know, not really. Um, I actually live in between the suburb and, and Moscow. I'm probably. 10 minute with no traffic i'd be like a 10 minute car to moscow 10 minute car to kimki so i'm right right kind of in between um i don't really stick out that much i guess my height i do a little bit but um 
not not horribly. It's now I know I talked to some guys who play over in China and they talk about how they stand out above the crowd, you know, crazy because the people there are a little bit smaller. But here, um, not so much. Um, it's it's a really you know people. It's kind of like being in New York. Everybody just kind of blends in. Um, yeah, it's a huge city. It's the it's the number one worst traffic city. Or it, yeah, I think it's actually it might be. I think it is number one. It's one or two um, in terms of having the worst traffic in the world. Um, traffic jams are crazy. People are always on the go. It's it's very it's a very metropolitan. You know, like I said, it's like living in New York. So, what's the longest traffic jam you've been in over there? Uh, I mean, like I said, it takes ten minutes to to get to the gym, fifteen minutes to get to the gym if there's no traffic. Um, and I, I it's taken me an hour and a half before. So oh, wow! It, uh, if the highways are jammed up, it's it's going to be a, a long uh, long wait. That's like L.A. puts L.A. and Atlanta to shame a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, have you picked up the language okay over there? Because it doesn't seem like it might be the easiest one to learn. Uh, no. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I can count to like nine. Uh, I can say hello, thank you, you're welcome. Uh, the cuss words, my teammates. <laughs> uh, but other than that, no, my Russian is extremely poor. <laughs> but the thing is, they this team, they, they make us get drivers. So I have a driver. His name's Roman. He's this little Russian guy. He's 28. He street races cars in his free time. Um, and sometimes I swear he's street racing with me in the back. He drives like a NASCAR <laughs> race sometimes. Wow. Um, but he's super cool, but he speaks no English. So we literally talk over Google Translate. But he loves 50 Cent. He likes rap music. Um, really cool guy. But it's been interesting. You know, I'm like one of my friends over here it's you know, the only reason we're able to be friends is because of technology so it's pretty pretty incredible you need to get a uh, 50 cent on the google translate he can be like the google translate voice translating the words yeah no for sure. <laughs> uh one more thing about russia i've got to ask this because russia's obviously in the news literally like 24 7 here for obvious reasons is like is the climate similar over there or american politics a big topic of discussion or not really um i know when when the election was going on before trump won You'd hear about them a lot, like our trainers listen to the radio when they're like taping us or giving you treatment or whatever. So you would hear his his name, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like ever since um, the election ended, it's kind of died down. I don't think they cover it quite like it is in America, where it seems like Russia's all the American media talks about at this point. Here, you know, I think because Vladimir Putin said, you know, we didn't have anything to do with it, and you know, I guess with Russia. It can be questionable how free the media is here. Right. Um, I think that it's really a non-issue here. It's not really talked about. Um, so no, at this point, it's not. It's not a big deal. That's really interesting. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to sports now and uh, switch to Purdue because uh, talking to a Purdue all-timer here, and I want to get a good amount of Boilers talk in for all the Purdue fans. Um, just going back to your early days and your path to Purdue. Obviously, you came in with a legendary class, the Baby Boilers, in 2007. First of all, can you believe it's been 10 seasons since you and those guys, uh, Juwan Johnson, Etwan Moore, and the rest of them stepped on campus? No, it's it's pretty wild just to think that it was that long ago. They don't. It doesn't feel like it was, um, you know, that that many years have gone by. But um, you know, when you look back, it's just it's incredible how how fun it was. I think I feel like I'm really really lucky that I got to come in. Um, with three other guys as freshmen, you know, Etwan, Juwan, and I'll throw Scott in there, even though he transferred, that I 
was really comfortable with and um, had played a lot of basketball with. You know, Scott being me and him had played together since like second grade. Um, Etuan, Scott, and I played on the same AU team. Um, so for two years, so we were really comfortable with that. And then Juwan, we played with in the Indian All Stars with the Junior All Stars and Senior All Stars um, teams. So it was uh, it was cool, and we got to join kind of a core with Kramer and Keaton, um, and added Lewis and a couple more pieces where we were we had a really successful you know four or I guess for me five years. It was it was great. Yeah, how did that class come together? Because you guys pretty much committed right around the same time period, right? Right. So Juwan actually committed first and he I remember when he committed, he texted myself, Etuan and Scott, and this is sad, but group texts weren't like invented yet. So he texted us individually. Um and just kind of, you know, said, Hey guys, you know, I just committed to Purdue. And like I said, we'd known Juwan from the Junior All Stars um at that point. Um and he just kind of told us, you know, hey, guys, I'm committed to Purdue. I think it would be great if we could all kind of get something going here. And, um, you know, each one and I had sat down. We had roomed together in an AU tournament in Virginia um, called Bula, which is a Nike tournament. Um, and we had talked about, you know, hey, this could be something good where we end up going to school together and, and play together and keep this run of success that we've had for the last two years um, with SYF kind of going. And I swear, I, I think – he probably said that because he thought I'd pass him the ball <laughs> because of the way he could score. Um, but no, it just kind of all snowballed. You know, each one committed, I committed, and then the pressure kind of got on Scott, I think, to commit. Um, and it was just such a cool time because everybody was so excited about Purdue. And, um, you know, they'd, I think the program had been a little bit down, but Coach Painter was an up-and-coming coach, and you saw him. Even though his first season they lost a bunch of games, they were competitive and they had a bunch of guys get hurt, but they still played hard and, and played in a way where you you respected what they were doing. So um, I, I think it, it it was just the start of that time where AAU was starting to, to be one of those things where guys play together and guys kind of want to go go to school together um, and kind of create those bonds. And it was a, it was a really special special thing. Yeah, and you talk about that kind of painter style of play and the coaches that recruited you that were in that uh, painter coaching tree while you were there Conzo Martin Rick Ray Paul Lusk they all have head coaching jobs now in division one so looking back it kind of makes sense that you guys were able to assemble some really good teams sure yeah no we were really well coached um you know we really pressured the basketball defensively and then coach painter um you know with his motion offense he gave us a lot of freedom and I think uh I, I feel fortunate in terms of myself that I I went to Purdue because I think he put me in a, in a position to be successful. Um, you know, I, he played me at the stretch four, which I was actually kind of surprised at when I first got to camp. So I thought there's no way I can play power forward in the Big Ten. I, I was recruited kind of as a small forward shooting. I thought maybe I'd play shooting guard because I played point guard for my high school team. So um, I kind of thought he was crazy at, at first when he was putting me in this position, but Really, I was I was like a fourth guard on the perimeter at the power forward spot, and this, it's I guess back then in 2007, the stretch four was kind of a new thing. Um, it wasn't as widely, I guess, thought of as it is today. Because if you looked at the power forwards in the league, it was like Goran Sutan, Brian Randall, um, I'm trying to think, of Marcus Landry. So like guys that were were skilled, 
but also were, were kind of, there were bangers, you know, they, they were guys that could mix it up inside. And I think just him putting me at that stretch four position was really, it really put me in advantage and it really allowed me to, to gain confidence and, and feel like I could have some success. Yeah. So you were at Purdue for five years. Um, I mean, playing at a major program in the big 10, in some really big games, on some really good teams, you must have some really unique experiences that fans out there listening would for sure find fascinating. Uh, do you have any really memorable stories from your time at Purdue that stood out about maybe funny teammates, coaches, or any story that fans maybe haven't heard about? Um, you know, I, I guess in terms of funny teammates, uh, I don't know if the fans will remember him. He was he was a guy from California. His name's Chris Reed. He was a junior college player. Great guy. Um Really funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, there's almost so many stories. It's hard to to think of one to tell. Um, I guess I'll go with. Uh, hmm. <laughs> it's hard. Um, shoot, I was just thinking about him today. Now I now. And if there are not, if there aren't any off the top of your head, you can uh, anything like that happened while you were playing maybe like hostile arenas or anything like that i'm sure you had some pretty big games on the road hostile arenas michigan state was great wisconsin was great but honestly whenever obviously whenever we went into iu it was it was like another deal so i remember my junior year we were ranked like sixth or seventh in the country and at the time they were kind of they were kind of struggling a little bit you know Crean had just taken over the samson thing had, had ended and um it, Jordan Holes was a freshman, that Christian Wofford, those guys. Um, so we go in there, and their record's not great, but we knew that the game was going to be tough, obviously because it's a rivalry game, and this was kind of like their Super Bowl for, for the season because they, they weren't going to make any tournaments, and it was getting to be February. So it was one of the later games in the league. And we go in there, and it's a close game. And in the, the first half, or no, second half, I'm inbounding the ball. Um for the whole half, and this guy is just on me. But what he's saying is, like, crazy. Like, I can't repeat what he's saying on this. <laughs> but it, it's, like, some really bad stuff. So I, of course, just think it's, like, a college student that's maybe drunk or just as insane or whatever. And after the you know fourth or fifth time of me inbounding the ball into this, this end, I finally turn around to look at him. And this dude isn't a college student. He's, like, 65 years old. <laughs> and he's wearing candy striped pants. So I'm like looking at him and he's just tearing into me. And I was like, I cannot believe that this dude who is this old is legitimately <laughs> yelling at 21 year old kids, the things he is. But you know what? That's, that's what I think makes sports so unique is that it just makes people kind of lose their minds. You know, it's, it's yeah. like you look, you go to a, a sporting event and there's grown men painting their faces and, screaming for three hours about um, baskets and touchdowns. So, you know, it makes it fun to go into those venues, but it also it can be uh, it can be a little bit eye-opening. Yeah, that's that, uh, that Hoosier hysteria right there. The guy must have never graduated. He just kind of was in that mindset until, <laughs> until old age. Um, so you yourself were a three-time first-team All-Big Ten player for Purdue, which is a really rare feat for a player to accomplish at any school. How did you manage to play at such a high level so consistently, especially dealing with injuries? Like you had your you had back problems your sophomore year that cost you a good amount of time, and then obviously the back to back ACL tears at the end of your junior season and heading into your senior year. How did you 
maintain a good level of, of play at a first-team All-Big Ten uh, consistency? Sure. Um, you know, like I said, I think freshman year was a surprise for everybody. Um, I, if you would ask me when I was leaving high school, like, what would be, like, the best-case scenario for you going to Purdue, I would have never said first-team All-League. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I would have just been like, well, you know, I hope I play. I hope I contribute. Um, but it just it, – it really kind of – that year snowballed, I think. And like I said, Coach Painter put me in a really good spot to where I – I kind of had some success and build on that. And um, I was fortunate to play really well in some of the big games that year, um, I guess on the road and at home. So, um, I, it, but like I said, it was a surprise. Um, in the junior year, you know, we were rolling. We were one of the best teams in the country. Um, I think with myself, Juwan, Etuan, we were able to play off each other um, really well. Um I think just with Etwan's ability to get in the paint, his mid-range game, um, he'd come off the pick and roll. You have Jawan Johnson rolling to the basket, who's long, super athletic, and then me kind of raising behind. We we ran that action to death because you have to pick your poison. How really? How do you want to get beat? So you know, I got a lot of open shots from from those guys, but I think we played together extremely well, and that made it you know that made it easy for us. Um, and then my last year. Um, Obviously, coming off two ACLs, it was it was tough, but I put in a lot of work. Really worked hard to rehab and um, try to get back to that level of, of play. Um, and luckily, we had a really good training staff that was able to help me and, and kind of get me back to where I needed to be. Sure, and we can always uh, like play what ifs and talk about hypotheticals. But um, you guys had great success as a program in spite of those injuries to yourself. Which season sticks out the most to you as one that you think, like, man, if we were at full strength, we would, could have made a, a run at a national title? Oh, it's, it's my junior year for sure. Um, you know, we're, we go into that game in Minnesota. I think we're 24-3. and three. We're ranked the number th- three team in the country. Um, that year we'd, we'd beaten, I want to say, four or five top ten teams. We beat Tennessee on a neutral court. We beat West Virginia at home. Um, we beat Michigan State in the Breslin Center. And we beat Ohio State in value city arena. So we had four wins against four super good teams, two of them road games. Um, we were on a roll. We won our first 14 and lost three in a row, um, which I have no idea why or how. Um, and then had won our last nine. Um, and I, you know, we were on the verge. We were really giving it to, to Minnesota. And unfortunately, you know, I, I've replayed it in my head a, a million times, you know, driving in the paint, jump stopping in my knee, um, unfortunately blows out but I just look at that team you know I, we had the three of us myself Juwan and Etuan Chris Kramer is the defensive player of the year in the conference Keaton Grant's the guy that scored a thousand points uh, made a bunch of big shots in his career Lewis Jackson DJ Bird Ryan Smith Kelsey Barlow um, that that was a it, it's still tough for me to think about to be honest with you because it's it's just disappointing you know I, I think you grow up and you want to play in the final four and you want to get your especially i think at purdue where they haven't been to one since 1980 um you know we, it was something that we all really wanted to do and it's just uh it's too bad that, that had to happen because i it would have been fun with the final four in indianapolis that year that's for sure but i guess butler butler got to experience that and not us yeah it's unfortunate um and sticking with that injury subject i'm not sure if you knew that you were the first player or at least i saw this somewhere i think it's it's true you're the first player to play in the nba after suffering two acl tears in college so 
being in a rare club of guys who know how hard it is to come back from those multiple knee injuries, when you see social media kind of like clowning uh, someone like Derek Rose and people questioning toughness or blaming injuries on people, does that kind of piss you off a little bit? Um, you know, I, I think I see both sides of it. You know, the fans want guys to, to, to be out there. They want them to – I think they, they want – to feel like the players are as passionate about their teams as they are. So I I get where, where they're upset when Derek you know, said he wants to be able to hold his kids or whatever. Um, that's probably not the best thing to say because in my experience, you know, I've, I've, I think in the last five years I've torn my – or since 2010 I've torn my ACL twice. I've had a meniscus repair. I tore my labrum in my shoulder and had that fixed. That's how I was on TV with you guys last year. And yep. I broke my hand. So – I get it if you're like, if you have severe head injuries as an NFL running back where you're like, yo, I want to double play with my kids. But when you're playing in an NBA game and like probably the worst injury that you're going to get is like you, you know, tear an Achilles or you tear your ACL or break your leg or something, they're going to fix that. So to say it the way he did, I think it just rubs the fans the wrong way. But at the same time, when he's going through that and you see what Derek was in high school and college and even in the NBA when he says MVP type year, um, yo, it, it stinks because it's not, it's not like he wants to get hurt, you know, and you know, he's putting in crazy amounts of time and, and effort into rehabbing his, his needs. And, you know, I felt the same way at Purdue. It's like, you know, I, I tore my, my knee up. I had, had surgery down in Indianapolis, um, with the team doctor and it, it honestly didn't go very well. Um, from the start, there were some, some issues with it. Um, but you know, you rehab and you put the time in, you put the time in, you, you get to a point and you, you know, I tore my ACL on the first, first, uh, official day of practice. And you're kind of, you know, I remember sitting there in the, we were actually practicing at the co-rec because it was a football Saturday. And I remember sitting there just thinking, well, what do I do now? You know, I, eight months ago, I thought I was going to be, maybe be in the NBA this year or at least the next year. And right now I'm thinking, am I ever going to play again? So um, you know, when that was happening to Derek, I certainly felt for him, but I at the same time see where the fans, you know, were kind of rubbed the wrong way by what he said. Yeah, Derek's definitely a unique example. I mean, I, I know it definitely rubbed people the wrong way when he was sitting, he was clear to play and still sitting on the bench. Um, you know, and, and Joe Kim Noah and other guys like that were playing. So I don't think, I don't think that situation would have applied to uh, someone like you that, like you said, you came back from five injuries in as many years. So. Yeah, I definitely agree that fans kind of can get um, a little a little miffed when you talk about not being able to walk at your son's graduation because that's just unrealistic. Right, it's unrealistic, and when your salary is public and they see what you're making, it, I think it yeah it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, like I said, um, you dealt with injuries, but despite the injuries you dealt with, you did end up getting drafted and uh, ended up carving out a nice role in the NBA for a couple of seasons like you mentioned, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, and that was after playing a season overseas. First question over, about your experience with the Timberwolves. Uh, whose weather is worse, Minnesota or Russia? Well, the funny thing is, so Alexi Shved was my teammate in Minnesota, and he's my teammate now in Kimpy. So he's kind of the hometown guy here. Oh, there you go. Kimpy. And we used to talk about Russia a lot. So when I got the offer to come play here, I called Alexi and I asked him, you know, just tell me about everything, see the coach, the weather, all that. He said, you know, Rob, the weather in Moscow is better than the weather in Minneapolis. And he swore that to me. And it's like June, 
and there's days where it's like 40 degrees here. So I'm like, yo, this dude definitely lied to me. Um, so from my experience, um, even though we had the polar vortex the one year of Minneapolis, and I'm sure you remember that in Chicago if you were there. Yep. Um, in Minneapolis, it was equally as bad, if not worse. But I'm going to go with Minneapolis because by by June, it was not still like snowing. So. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like the Twin Cities, in my experience, is really nice when it's warm out. But if you're playing in the NBA, you're not really there when it's warm out. So right. you're missing out on the, the prime months to be up there uh, for sure. Exactly. Uh, so playing in Minnesota, playing in the NBA. Do you have any interesting stories about guys you played with or against during your your two seasons in that league? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I was a teammate of, of Kevin Garnett's for um, a couple months when he got traded back to the, the Timberwolves. Um, I, I've got a good story about him, um, and I would say against I've got a good story against about uh, Kevin Durant. So I'll tell both of those. But all right, let's hear it. So we we were playing a game in Los Angeles against the Lakers. Um, this is my second year. We were the worst team in the league. Um, we had a bunch of injuries, traded some guys at the deadline. Um, but we were playing mostly young guys. It was like Andrew Wiggins um, and Levine's rookie year. Um, we, we had multiple times where we had to sign an extra player with the injury exemption because we didn't have enough to play. Um, we even signed Sean Kilpatrick, um, who's now actually had a good – he had a great season actually in Brooklyn um, this last year. But we, we signed him, and I'm pretty sure that it was because he was, like, the closest guard available. <laughs> so he drove up. Uh, we were playing at Madison Square Garden, um, and he literally drove up to the game and got there, like, 30 minutes before and played. <laughs> so that's the kind of season it was um, because so many guys were injured. But um, we were playing in L.A. KG was hurt, um, so he wasn't playing. But uh, in the first half, I took a charge on one of their guys, I want to say it was on Tariq Black, who's a really, really big dude. And he ran me over so hard, and I landed on my back super hard. So I kind of laid there, got up, played another one or two minutes, then told Flip Saunders, you know, hey, you got you to gotta take me out. My back is killing me. So he takes me out. I go back in the locker room, and halftime's coming up. So... Um, the, the guys are going to be coming in soon. So I'm. they lay a towel down. I'm just laying on the floor. Guys come in for halftime, and KG comes in. He gives everybody a nickname. So um, some are common. Mine was Hum, like not not crazy, but some are like out there. <laughs> yeah. But mine, mine was simple. Mine was basic. So uh, he comes in, you know, Hum, Hum, how you doing? And I'm like, no, my back, my back is not good. And – the funny thing is, he kind of like gets down on, he might have been sitting in a chair near me or even got down on a knee and kind of started like massaging my back. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like laying there, like writhing in pain and Kevin Garnett, the legend, is like giving me a back massage. <laughs> You're not going to tell him to stop either. No, I'm just, I'm just like, he's like massaging out the area where I landed on. It's just like, this is so surreal because like, you know, before he came to the team, all we heard about was how, like, yeah, if you have your cell phone out before the game, he'll throw in the toilet and, like, stuff. Like, there's all these rumors going around about what he would be like to play with. To the point where I even called each one, and I asked him, because he'd been with him in Boston. I was like, you know, is this stuff true? And he was like, no, it's not. Like, you know, he, as long as you work hard, he's a great teammate, which is true. He he is a great, great teammate. Um, 
always there to give advice, plays super hard, practice. He, he practices really, really hard. Um, just a fun guy to, to get to play with and get to kind of um, experience. But, yeah, he gave me a back massage in the Staples Center. <laughs> that's so. pretty cool. And that's, uh, like you said, staying on the subject of Kevin's. What about Kevin Durant? What did, what did he do in the league that, that uh, caught your attention? My first year, I just kind of made the team. This is like an early game. Um, and we're playing the Thunder, and Durant kind of got off to a slow start. He hadn't been playing very well for the first quarter. So um, Corey Brewer is defending him uh, from Florida. Really good player, 6'9", good defender, great energy guy, great teammate. Um, he's guarding and um, Durant misses a shot in front of our bench. And Gorgie Dang, who's a rookie, same year as me, me the rookies were me, Shabazz Muhammad, and Gorgie Dang. So, um, ball goes out of bounds, and Gorgie claps his hands and, and yells, good D brew. So, good defense brew. So, Durant hears him. <laughs> he looks at him, and he goes, and I won't say the cuss words, but there was many. But he goes, it wasn't good D brew. It was bad shot Kevin. <laughs> So I'm like, this is like, that's like a great response. Like, I've never heard anybody say anything like that. But that's, that's really, you know, unique. It's quick thinking. Exactly. So Durant gets the ball. Some, somehow he got open, drills a three, and stares Gorgie down. So we were up eight points. Now we're up five. But he stares him down the whole way he's running back on defense. So I'm like, all right, you know, touch shot, whatever. We go down, miss. They come back down. Durant gets the ball again and drills another three and stares Gorgie down <laughs> again. So I'm, you know, you're starting to think like, man, I'm really glad I didn't say anything because he's just staring, just staring, you know, lasers through this guy after he makes them. We go back down. Our lead is now cut to two, and uh, we miss again. They come back down on our end, and the ball gets knocked out of bounds. And Durant comes over to our bench, and we're all Durant is, is like seven foot tall. First of all, like he's huge. Um, so he comes over and he's like, basically, who are you? I have no idea who you even are. When did you get drafted? Where'd you even go to school? Like he's saying it's the Gorgie and Gorgie's looking at him like, uh, he doesn't know what to say. All right. I'm I'm like, stop inciting Kevin Durant, like shut up. (laughs) So Gorgie's like stumbling over his words at this point. I'm thinking to myself, thank God I didn't say good deep brew because I don't know if I could handle what Kevin Durant is doing to this man right now. Just so he, rip, ripping out his soul. No, he is. He really is. And everybody's just kind of looking at him like, dude, stop talking to Kevin Durant. So Durant gets the ball and hit. he hits like a step back three, looks at our bench and yells, well, the paraphrase version, I'm a bad man and don't you ever forget it. And I remember looking at him like, I'd never want to get subbed in. <laughs> like, <laughs> my thought. I never want to get put in the game. But unfortunately, like four weeks later, we're playing him again at home. And this is fresh in my mind still. Like, And I, I still haven't played like major minutes yet. I hadn't really had my breakthrough in my rookie year where I started playing consistently. Um, so we're like shorthanded on this night. I think Kevin Martin is out. Um, I want to say Chase Budinger is out. So I'm looking at the bench kind of before the game, thinking, man, I can get some minutes tonight. So Corey Brewer is again guarding Durant, 
and uh, he picks up his second foul. And in my mind, I'm, I start thinking to myself on the bench, if he gets his third, and I'm, I'm sizing up the rest of the guys on the bench, I'm like, it's probably going to be me that gets put in to have to guard this dude. So, of course, with like three minutes to go in the half, Brew gets his third foul. And I, <laughs> I remember sitting there, and Rick Allen was like, Robbie, you got him. And literally, I, all I could think of was like, oh, God. <laughs> I have Durant three minutes. So I go in, and it was like there were sirens going off in the arena that a rookie poor defender was guarding Kevin Durant because he started bringing the ball up. And he went one-on-one with me every time. Like, it was like, it was terrifying. And he missed most of his shots. I followed him on a three. So he made three free throws, but he missed, I want to say, four, three shots. And it, But it wasn't because I played good defense. He was getting whatever he wanted. But <laughs> Just I, tell, tell everyone it's because you played good defense, though. You shut down Kevin Durant. Oh, my grandkids are going to definitely hear that. No doubt. But um, he's just a different animal. He's seven foot tall. I mean, you watch him in the finals right now. He's, he's a seven foot guard, and he just gets his game on, too. Yeah, those are the types of stories you hear about guys like Durant, Kobe, Michael Jordan that just shows how like they're a different breed. Like it's a different species. They are they're superhuman basketball players. It's insane. But the thing was, he took a comment that wasn't even bad. Like that was not a slight to him in any way. And he he took it and he used it to get himself going. You know, good D brew. Like who uses that as like an insult? I don't know anybody does. <laughs> so I was just you know it was shocking to me. Like I said, I was I was like questioning whether I wanted to get put in the game at that point. <laughs> That's pretty fantastic. Um, one more guy I wanted to hear about during your time in Minnesota, and you brought him up earlier briefly, it was your former coach, Flip Saunders. And when he passed away, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was a huge outpouring of condolences and support from pretty much everyone who knew him. What, what was it about him that made him so revered in NBA circles? I mean, he was just a great people guy. Um, he treated people extremely well. Um, he had a great sense of humor. He was very generous. Um, he's just a guy that you really wanted to play for. And I think, you know, I got to have him one year. He was the general manager of our team. And the next year he was, uh, the coach. Um, and I just think he, he was very passionate about basketball, but he was also passionate about the people that he was involved with. So, um, I felt fortunate that for a year I got to play, um, on his team and you know when he died it was just it was a shock because he got diagnosed with the leukemia and you know he was very optimistic and said they caught it early and everybody you know thought it would be something they could certainly treat and you know it just didn't work out that way and um i think it just makes you understand that um you know you never can take life for granted because at any any moment um it can certainly change um course very quickly and with him it certainly did yeah definitely um i'm gonna shift gears back to your time at purdue a little bit and try to tie in some current purdue events um their whole team is playing in the world university games in august in taipei which is an event you participated back in your college days back then it was a collection of players from different teams around the country now the whole purdue squad's going over there um but you were actually coached by Longtime Wisconsin coach Bo Ryan, and you had some other Big Ten players on that team. So there had to be some memorable experiences on that trip. Yeah, um, it was it was definitely um, 
interesting. Um, our team was extremely talented. Like you said, uh, Taylor Battle from Penn State and Evan Turner and myself were the three Big Ten guys. Um, we were really talented, though. We had we had probably seven or eight or even nine guys that played in the NBA. Um, some of them still do. Um, and, you know, you, I think you look back on that and you feel fortunate you get to play in an international competition. Unfortunately, we didn't win gold, but uh, we got the bronze medal. Um, but, yeah, um, I, I think the one story that really sticks out to me um, would be um, – <laughs> It was we were playing an exhibition game, and things weren't going well for a lot of this tournament. We we were extremely talented, but our chemistry was pretty poor. Um, we kind of been thrown together in like two weeks. You know, we had three weeks at the USA Training Center out in Colorado Springs, and then kind of like a week to get ready in Belgrade for these games. Whereas some of these teams, like Serbia, had been playing together since they were like 15 on these you know international competitions. So. It was certainly different um, for us in that regard, but we, we had some issues. Um, and shock, you know, Bo was our coach, and you know Coach Ryan. Um, he's He doesn't want you to turn the ball over. He wants you to take good shots. He wants you to play in, in the offense. Um, so Evan Turner is not that guy. You know, you look at what Thad Mata would let him do, and Thad would tell him, you know, I don't care how many times you turn the ball over, just make plays, you know, for yourself, for teammates. And he was really good at it. But if you remember Evan, the year he was player of the year, he, he had games where he had like nine and ten turnovers. He probably had triple-double with turnovers, rebounds and points. So it was just kind of, you know, how he wanted to play. And Evan was really good at doing it. You know, he might turn the ball over, but he's also going to create a lot of opportunities for, for the team. So... But him and Bo didn't exactly mesh on their, I think, perspective of that. So um, we're playing an exhibition game, and this is this is the summer before our junior year. So Evans, he had a good sophomore year, but he hasn't broken out to be the Evan Turner that you remember from that unreal junior season he had. Um, he actually, I want to say, was last on our team in minutes, which is shocking because he was taken in the next NBA draft with the second pick. Um, but he had a bad bad first half, turned the ball over a couple of times, um, and got taken out in like three or four minutes of play. And I remember getting in the locker room. I was like the last one in there. He's got his headphones on, <laughs> like his Beats by Dre headphones. And I'm kind of looking at him, and I'm – I didn't really know what to say, and I don't think he could have heard me anyway, but he just listened to music. So Bo comes in, and he starts talking, and Evan's still listening to his music. And, like, in the middle of Bo's sentence, Evan Turner lets a massive fart rip. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it, like, pierces the room. Like, it was really loud. And to Bo's credit, he didn't bat an eye. Like he, he just kept going. Like nothing was going on. Just kind of ignored Evan and you know whatever. But <laughs> it was it was a surreal. It was a surreal moment. So Bo Bo's just t- like giving out game plan, like talking through the game plan, giving out directions, and he's just ignoring the fact that Evan Turner is listening to his beats. Yes. I guess when you have to face you face the dude in the Big Ten next year, I, f- I feel like at that point it's just like you know what this guy's. 
I, I just won't play him here, and then we'll move on. Well, that's the thing. I, I would love to look up Evan's stats um, against Wisconsin in 2009-2010. They, they had to be massive. Like, I guarantee you he had monster games against them. He had monster yeah, that, games against everybody, but I guarantee you he had great games against them that year. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And I guess it kind of makes sense when you put it uh, from that perspective that, you know, players don't match real well. Everyone's trying to get their own buckets. And now they've kind of moved to more of a team format where one college team is over there that probably plays better together. Well, I think that's kind of why they did it. I think because yeah. the U.S. didn't, you know, we had a great team. If you look on paper, we for sure were the most talented talent team there. But um, we just hadn't played together. Um, I think we all, you know, in the international game, it's different. It's a different deal. So I, I think they they feel like like you said that if they can get a team that's played together and has some chemistry, they'd be better off. Yeah, and kind of similar format of basketball when guys that don't have much experience playing together would be the NBA summer league when you're trying to make an NBA roster, and you've obviously done that several times. How difficult is it to stand out in a league when? everyone's trying to stand out and everyone doesn't really have defined roles on a team. And how hard is it to stand out when you're trying to make a roster? Well, that's the thing because that, that's why summer league becomes really hard to, to have a good showing because, um, and you didn't mention this, but also it summer league as a rookie, it is a different deal if you're drafted versus undrafted, because I think when you're drafted, the team feels like they've invested assets in you and they, they're going to give you chances to succeed and you know, they want you to succeed. Whereas if you're undrafted, you've really got to play well in the days leading up to the games and in the games in order to kind of be going like that. So um, I, I think that plays a factor. But then you're right. Everybody is playing for one of the coolest jobs in the world. So in that regard, um, it, it is a free-for-all. And I think for big guys, it's even tougher because – Guards are trying to score the ball. Even though a lot of times I think if a guard was to go out and make the right play every time, score when he should score, pass when he should pass, I'd be more impressed watching that than I would be watching a guy shoot 18 times and get 20 points. But that's not how a lot of these guys think. So um, big guys especially are a massive disadvantage because they they have to have a guard throwing the ball in the post. So um, it can be tough for them. Um, but it's uh, it's a tough experience because also the pressure is huge. Um, you know, every, every missed shot feels like it's such a big deal, especially if you're not getting a ton of shots. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's stressful. But you know, if you're if you're going for a job that pays the way it does and and is what it is, an NBA job, that's you know, obviously that's how it's going to be. Sure. Um, and before we wrap up here. I did want to get a little deeper into a more recent era of Purdue basketball. Uh, because you suffered a shoulder injury, uh, you said it was a torn labrum, I think, in Italy. You were rehabbing back in the United States, and you went back to Purdue for a couple months to be a special assistant under Matt Painter. And you lived in his house during that time when you were an assistant coach, right? Yeah, he let me stay in one of his uh, guest rooms. <laughs> yeah. What, what was that like? It was No, it was cool. Uh, you know, the, the cool thing about Coach Painter is that I, I want to say everybody that, that I played with uh, has a really, really good relationship with him. So uh, he, he's done a, a good job of keeping in touch. And uh, I think we appreciate he, he's a very honest guy, but he's also going to do whatever he can to help you. So uh, when I got hurt, 
he the first you know he texted me and asked you know hey we'd love to have you around you can just stay at my house you don't got to worry about finding a place to stay or anything you can rehab with our trainer because um, you know PT is not cheap so uh, he helped me out a bunch with that but it, it was um, you know he it was like just kind of we were living in the same house but a lot of, you know he's so busy whether it's recruiting or um, being at the office um, or even running around after his kids um, I didn't see him a ton but you know, there were certain nights where um, I remember one night I came home I actually went to see my my grandparents for Easter in Champaign because um, my my dad um, my dad's from Champagne, so his parents still live there. Right. And uh, I got home at like five or six, and they were having like family Easter at his house. So I was just kind of thinking, like, I'm going to stay out of the way. I'm not going to like intrude on their family uh, event. And I got pulled into the euchre tournament that was playing, and I had to. I played euchre. I'm not even good at euchre, and Coach Payne is like amazing at euchre. Like, you can play like two cards, and he knows who's winning what hands and all you know he's really good so i i was his partner because his youngest daughter had to go to bed and we played euchre until like 2 30 in the morning against his oldest daughter and her boyfriend and i swear to god i was so afraid that i was gonna like screw our team by like calling the wrong uh suit or um playing the wrong card and he's like a beast at it so but yeah we stuff like that. i mean he's a really normal guy like he loves to watch sports He's like an encyclopedia for basketball in the state of Indiana and Major League Baseball. Um, he's a he's a normal dude. He's a really cool guy, actually. Great guy. So did he uh, like charge you rent, or did he just have a list of chores for you to do, or what was the arrangement there? I didn't have any chores. I just kind of was there and tried to stay out of the way. Uh, so I know you mentioned in the past that you were interested in maybe pursuing coaching as a profession down the road. Were you more or less likely to to continue to pursue that after that experience, um, kind of mentoring those guys at Purdue? You know, it was it was really good, I think, to kind of see the other side because when you're a player, not that you think that the coaches just show up because you know they put in time to prepare, but you don't understand just exactly how much they do. I think so. To see that was really good, and then also I think seeing the wins and the losses like as a player it, it sucks when you lose and it's great when you win but i think for college basketball coaches the pressure to win is so great especially in the big 10 because you know the fan base wants you to go to the tournament every year some fan bases just going to the tournament's not good enough um that the expectations are so high so seeing how devastating losses are and just kind of how relieving wins are it's almost like to me, I don't know. I, you know, in the right situation, yes, I would love to coach. But I think there's a lot that goes into it, and then you—that's not even talking about recruiting. So um, that you know, I don't know. To answer your question, I have no idea. I I think I really enjoy doing the TV stuff. I would love to go back and, and be able to do that, and even take that a step farther. And I think call games. I think that would be super fun. Um, but I think if the right situation presented itself, coaching would be very attractive. However, there are some serious downsides to it. <laughs> so that didn't answer your question at all, but that, you know, that's, that's my answer. No, but like you said, I mean, Painter has had success for a long time and he's kind of weathered those storms and weathered the fans, um, 
I guess, impatience when there's been some down years. He's now the second longest tenured coach in the Big Ten behind Tom Izzo now that Thad Mata uh, is not at Ohio State anymore. Um, I learned to not really doubt him at all after he was able to get the program back from those couple of rough seasons in the post-Robbie Hummel era. What do you think it is about him that's allowed him to stick around so long, so so successfully? Well, I think he's really he's really good at adapting to what he has. You know, if you watch our teams play when I was there, we didn't play anything like what they played the last two years. But that's because we didn't have the, the personnel. We didn't have AJ Hammonds, Caleb Swanigan, uh, Isaac Haas. We had Juwan, who could who definitely could score with his back to the basket, had a great turnaround jumper, had a nice jump hook, but. You know, now they pound that thing into the post. With us, we played a free-flowing motion, which I think is incredibly hard to guard. And he's really good at coaching it. But if he doesn't think his personnel is going to, you know, be good to run it, he won't do it. So I think, you know, those couple rough years, we had some guys where they were highly recruited, but they didn't fit in. I think with the team, and some some of those guys kind of, I guess, got either left on their own or were told that they weren't welcome to come back. And I think now you see the culture is back to where it's a bunch of guys that really enjoy playing together and are willing to give themselves to the team. And I think when he has a group of guys that do that, you know, most coaches will be good, but he's going to do a really good job of adjusting to their strengths. Um, And I, you know, I think you even look at defensively Purdue Um, with the rule changes, they don't, they don't really guard the way that I think we, I guess, guarded before because the rules are way different. I think if you take our team and have us guard the way that we did with today's rules, I think I'm probably falling out of games. I think Chris Kramer is definitely falling out of games um, just because we were really physical and we really got after people on the defensive end. But now they kind of, I guess, sit back and especially last – or not last year, but two years ago with A.J., Final guys to him and just let him contest things at the rim because he was such a presence. But um, they certainly sit back more, I think, now and, and kind of pack it in, whereas we got in the passing lanes a little more. Yeah, let's get into these uh, present-day Boilermakers a little bit more. What's your outlook for next season as they move on without Biggie Swanigan but pretty much everyone else coming back? Right. Um, no, I still think they're going to be really good. I mean, you, you return a core of players that won the Big Ten outright last year and um, have won a ton of games, have won games in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think, obviously, if Biggie would have decided to come back, you're looking at one of the top two or three teams in the country. But uh, I think Vince Edwards has a lot to prove. I think he, you know, this is kind of his first time being the guy. Um, so him stepping into that leadership role and, and kind of taking charge of a team. Um, not that he had a bad season last year. I think he actually had a really good season. But the game kind of sometimes comes to him so easily um, almost like Etuan, almost like Etuan in the sense where the game, he doesn't look like he, you know, he's smooth. It looks like he's kind of going in slow motion sometimes and you think he can give you more. But now that he's going to be the main, I think, guy on offense, it'll be interesting to see him. Um, but you have guys around him, you know, PJ, uh, Dakota, Isaac, um, lots of guys, Carson Edwards. I think they really like their, their freshman class too. So, um, if Purdue won the Big Ten next year again, I, it wouldn't surprise me. I know the league is going to be tough with Michigan State um, and some of those other teams, but uh, I think Minnesota is going to be good. Um, but no, I, if Purdue won the league next year, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, what do you think it would take for Purdue to finally make that 
leap and get back to a Final Four? Has it just been maybe bad matchups in the NCAA tournament or just one thing here, one thing there that has prevented them from getting back to that level? Or do you think it's going to take another style of recruit to bring in or style of play from Painter? What do you think it'll take for them to finally get back to a Final Four? Um, I mean, luck is luck is definitely involved. Um, you have to be healthy, and I think matchups is, are huge. Um, guard play, I think, in the NCAA tournament is probably one of the biggest things. So if you have guards that can really go, um, usually that carries you in the tournament. So um, I think in terms of Purdue, I, I think just getting getting matchups, like, like you had said, that are conducive. I think if you looked at the teams, at least when I was in school, that we lost to, um, it would have been Xavier who went on to the Elite Eight, UConn went to the Final Four, Duke won it all, VCU went to the Final Four, and Kansas went to the National Championship game. So we ran into teams that were hot. <laughs> like We always played teams that were really good. Um, and I think part of that is luck. Part of that is also you know building a resume and getting away from those high seeds, is, um, I guess, until the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. But um, no, I, I think in order to get to that next step, um, you just have to have players that play well together and get it going at the right time. And with the three-point line, if you can make shots, um, especially when your guards are making shots, that's uh, that's going to be extremely helpful. Sure. Um, and last couple of questions for you. How long do you think you're going to keep playing personally? Are we talking maybe like five to ten years, or does it just depend on the situation and what's on the table for you? Um, it will depend on the situation, I think. Uh, at this point... Playing is, is still, I feel extremely fortunate to be able to do so. Uh, you have to play a game and make a living uh, all while seeing the world. Uh, I, I think for me, you know, I'm still I'm a year away from getting my pension in the NBA, so it would be nice to get one more season there. But uh, that's something that I guess we'll have to address this summer and in the future. Uh, but right now, I have no idea. I think if, if something came up where I thought it was too good to pass, I would consider stop where I would stop playing um, after this year. But I, I think all options are on the table from here on out. I, this is my fifth year playing. And you know, playing overseas, it is hard. You're away from your friends. You're away from your family. I've missed weddings, birthday parties, um, fun weekends. You know, Because like, we went to the finals. My One of my teammates, DJ Bird, just got engaged a couple weeks ago. He's having an engagement party, um, I think, next weekend. And obviously, if I was not playing, I'd be there, but I'm going to be playing in the finals, so I'm going to miss out on that. But at the same time, you're getting paid to play basketball, so you have to weigh the pros and cons, but being eight hours ahead of the central time zone is is not always easy. Definitely. Uh, That's all I got for you, Robbie. Thanks so much for joining me and for sharing some really phenomenal stories. Uh, Good luck in the playoffs in Russia and with everything else going forward. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks again to Robbie for joining me, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. If you managed to make it through the entire hour-long discussion, I'm almost positive that you'll admit that it was worth the wait to hear some of those uh, incredible stories from Robbie. And the way he delivered them, I'd venture to guess he has a future in the sports media industry if he wants it. I know he mentioned that that might be a possible avenue for him down the road, and I mean, you listen to him talk, that dude can tell a sports story like no other. Uh, Thanks, as always, to my producer, Wes White, and thanks to another one of our very talented digital producers, John Castelli, for helping out as well. 
Uh, don't forget to rate and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening on. And we'll talk to you next time on Take 10. Take 10.